0: Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to this very special Empire podcast dedicated to Joe Wright's Pan, which is out next week. It is, of course, a retelling of the legend of J.M. Barry's Boy That Never Grew Up. This one is an origin tale. This tells the story of how young Peter Pan, played by Australian newcomer Levi Miller, is an orphan in London during World War II and he is brought to Neverland. There he forms a friendship with Captain Hook, who A, doesn't have a hook, and B, has some goodness heart this time. He's played by Garrett Hedlund. Together they team up along with Tiger Lily... Played by Rooney Mara, and they trawl through Neverland to try and take down the nefarious, nirvana loving pirate, Blackbeard, played by Hugh Jackman. This is an interview special uh, in which I and Phil DeSimlian talk to Joe Wright, Hugh Jackman, Garrett Hedlund, Rooney Mara, and Levi Miller. Three very fun interviews. Do stick around. First up is Joe Wright, and he was talking to Phil DeSimlian about his unique vision. Enjoy. Joe Wright, welcome to the Empire Podcast.
1: Thank you very
2: much. Many thanks for finding the
0: time in your very busy schedule.
1: No, uh, to, talk to, about, to talk about Pan. Just to open up with another one of your films, on Anna Karenina, you grew a sympathy moustache. I did. In sympathy with your cast. Yes. You didn't, you didn't go sympathy baldy no, with I, Hugh Jackman I, on this movie.
2: No, I realised that actually that it was unnecessary. I did a sympathy backbend for Rooney Mara one day. Did you, how did that go? Really badly. If you're only um, like 24, you shouldn't yeah. do backbends uh, without limbering up. I was trying to express the fact that if you pre-visualize something, you find you're able to do it. And so I said, "Listen, I can't do a backbend, but uh, I'll try for you now." And I pre-visualized doing a backbend, <laughs> and then I went into one and I did it, but I nearly broke my back in the process. I bent over backwards for quite literally for, for Rooney. Is yeah. this the beginning of a new career in practical pre no, it was kind of the end of a dream of being a mime artist. <laughs> I know that's why I wanted to, yes. when I was like little, I yeah. really wanted to be a mime artist and I was a bit fat. And so I said to someone who knew about this stuff, I said, how fit do you have to be to go to Marcel Marceau's Coq mime school in Paris? And she said, you just need to be able to do a backbend. So I spent months practicing doing a backbend. Little tubby Joe. And of
1: course you were also the great Kazam. Yes, the great a magician Kazam. Yes. as well as my artist.
2: Yeah, the the great Kazam used to perform illusions in the piazza at Covent Garden. I used to go down there every Saturday and do magic busking. And it was quite a good little earner, was know? it? Yeah. I used to make about thirty quid a day, which for a kind of eleven year old is pretty good. That's like hedge fund money. Yeah. For an eleven year old. Yeah, exactly. I used to plough it all back into to the business though and i'd go <laughs> after my days busking i'd go up to davenport's magic shop which used to be in front of the british museum and i would go and spend all my hard-earned money on new illusions that's amazing
1: remembering your younger self levi was uh, he's 11 now isn't he yeah but he presumably was i guess what 10 or 9 when you auditioned him he's Did- 10 no he's not
2: he's he's 12 now right And he was 11 when we met. How many kids did you
1: see all together, roughly?
2: Over 4,000. Unbelievable. We even had an open casting at Wembley Arena and had, like, queues round and round the block.
1: Some adults turned up in Peter Pan costumes as well, (laughs) which was a bit weird. (laughs) None of them got close, I guess, to the part. Excuse me, yeah, No. (laughs) Amazing. So is that a fun process or does it get a bit of a grind? I mean, obviously you have to... Be- no, that's not a fun process no. at all. Especially because you're
2: kind of shattering the hopes and mm. dreams of thousands of children. And also you have to start kind of appraising children's talent and go, no, he's no good. And you, kind of, you don't want to talk about kids like that, do you? You want to kind of go, they're all
1: great. Yeah, but you were the great Kazam. Yeah. So in a way, you've got insights into yeah. how good they should be. Yeah, no, They're not a- making 30 quid a day, adjusted for inflation. No, there was a bar, you
2: know, that was set. <laughs> I remember when Ken Livingstone took over the GLC, he banned anyone under 16 from busking. And so that robbed me of my audience and I was devastated and I tried to get work as a children's entertainer but I just felt the audience were beneath me and so that in fact was when I started making films thank you Ken Livingston thank you Ken yeah in a
1: way I wondered just to uh, just sort of put this film into the context of your career this is I guess the fourth literary adaptation that you've done. I don't and really
2: see it as being a literary adaptation though because although the characters are based on Barry's original characters it feels like a complete reframing of the Peter Pan story. When I first read Jason Fuchs's screenplay it was one of the most original screenplays I've read so I never really saw it as a kind
1: of literary adaptation. Just to put this in film in the context of your broader career yeah. this is the second film that you've made that has a fairy tale element to it. Yes. Is there a third in the trilogy? Little Mermaid is the film that keeps coming back, keeps coming back to you.
2: I don't know. In a way, I see them all as being fairy tales, really. Certainly, you know, Pride and Prejudice is a fairy tale. She gets her prince in the end, you know, quite literally. Atonement is about fairy tales. It's about a character who tries to get the world to conform to her ideas of how a story ought to be. I guess The Solarist was less of a fairy tale. Maybe that's the way it it was the least successful of my films I don't know and Anna Karenina has a kind of fairy tale element to it although a kind of very dark one I see them all as fairy tales I guess
1: that's what I'm saying looking back at Atonement a film Mm. that lingers for a lot of people it's got I mean what a cast you must look back and think Wow. I mean, Cisha Rowan has obviously gone to great things. Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch is in that film. You've got Danny Mays. Even yeah. Neil Maskell turns up as bloke in pub.
2: <laughs> yes. <true. laughs> right. I love actors and I'm kind of quite involved, I suppose, in the London theatre scene. And I get to see a lot of these actors before they've had their big breakout performances. It's a very rewarding thing to be able to give someone like Carey Mulligan, her first job and Pride and Prejudice, and then see her blossom into the kind of great actress that she. become. What happened to Benedict Cumberbatch? Benedict, well, you know, I I kind of felt like Benedict was a star when I cast him, but I suppose he wasn't. Yeah, no, he's amazing. And it's a real privilege to bear witness to those people. It's happening now with Alicia Vikander, who, you know, had her first English speaking role in Anna Karenina. And it's
1: brilliant to see them do so well. Can we talk about your relationship with the music? Not just this film introduces a lot of, I guess a new generation to the Ramones, for one thing. And also, of course, Smells Like Teen Spirits. A rabble-rousing sing-along.
2: Yeah, I guess... those moments just came out of the rehearsal process. I had a fantastic week of pirate boot camp during rehearsals where all the pirates came and kind of learned how to go and so on. And we all (laughs) dressed up and and it was really an opportunity for Hugh to get to know his supporting cast as well as his crew. And we were playing lots of music in the rehearsal room and we were trying kind of sea shanties and so on and they didn't really feel tough enough. And then we put smells like teen spirit on and suddenly the room kind of started pogoing and and everyone singing along and it felt like that was something an energy that I wanted to see
1: in the film with your Australian cast in mind, was there any pressure to have some Midnight Oil involved? or Not so much. <laughs> you play music on set though, don't you? Yeah, I play a lot. Of, I mean, basically I see my job
2: as sort of set DJ and director. <laughs> I have a sound system kind of set up on the stage and I have an MP3 player that is linked to the sound system and I play music all day.
1: Amazing. Are there any other directors who do that? I don't know, to be honest think, with you. I think Terence Malick does that, for instance.
2: I don't think Terence does it, but I love it. And I find it relaxes everyone and also communicates to them the kind of atmosphere of the day so that when we were doing atonement for instance and in the scene in the library the love scene in the library we were playing mark lanagan's wedding dress song and then when we were doing the scene between peter and blackbeard in his cabin we were playing an amazing piece of music by max richter called on the nature of daylight which is a very tender kind of piece of music fragile piece of music so we, we kind of and then and then if i need lots of energy i'll play you know the chemical brothers or or whatever Chemical Brothers, of course, you were at their first ever gig, weren't you? So I, their first London DJ gig above the Saxon
1: Shoe Shop in Islington. Just before I let you go, I know you don't have a project next, mm. but I just wonder what, what happens next for you when when you finish promoting this movie and you've done you've obviously done the premiere, the film's out. Do you go on holiday or do you start to look around? and people start calling you up? Is that no, I start worrying. <laughs>
2: I start worrying, and I start kind of thinking what. I might be interested in next. But that process has already started. Although I don't know which, what film I'm going to make next. But no backbends? No. Certainly never again am I going to do that.
0: Joe Wright, thank you very much for taking the time to chat. Thank you very much indeed. That was Joe Wright, the director of Pan. Next up is the villain of Pan, Hugh Jackman, a.k.a. the evil Blackbeard. His beard is now gone, his hair has grown back, he's now the lovable Hugh Jackman we we all know and love. He was talking to Phil and myself about all sorts of stuff, including, obviously, Blackbeard, Nirvana, the next Wolverine, and tons of things. Do enjoy. Uh, delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Hugh Jackman, Star of Pan. Hello, Thank you. sir. You're good to good. see you guys. I'm great. Good yeah. to see you. Uh, the other day, Hugh, I don't know if you know this, was International Talk Like a Pirate Day. <laughs> and you didn't
3: yes. tweet anything. You didn't talk like a pirate on Twitter. I what, didn't. What
0: was up no, with I that? Honestly?
3: Well, it was actually communicated to me as something different, that it was International Day of the Pirate. As I was <laughs> like, I said, I'm not sure if this is really great. We know what's going on in Somalia. Are you sure this is <laughs> something we should be endorsing right now? And then i found I it was talk like about the day after, so the I missed after. the boat. Yeah. Oh, man. But would you times. like to give me your best pirate?
0: Best pirate? Oh, my God. Come on. So my, my best pirate always it's sounds like good. someone from Cornwall. Yes, yeah, West Country.
4: Right. Arr! That's right. Arr, is that right? Well,
3: they kind of were. Yeah, I guess we, they were, yeah. Yeah, we had a Cornwall actor, Mike, on, on this show, and he, that's where all the pirates, that's where they all sort of jumped on the ships from, from Cornwall. So they're, they're, hence, that's where it comes from. But well, you're a pirate.
0: You're a blackbeard. Yes, it was the A bit opposite. more educated than... Yeah. <laughs> not just the people from Cornwall are not educated before anyone writes Ooh. in. <laughs> but Again, that's being cut out. Of Historically speaking, a yes. bit more educated.
3: Yeah, well, say. no, pretentious. I actually think he probably was one of those pirates. He's complete show pony, My, yeah. I'm chewing up the furniture in a big way on this one <laughs> and having a great... T- and Joe was like, go for it. He loves the sound of his voice and yeah. loves being on show and yeah. just loves dressing up and doing all that stuff and that's sort of his thing because I think in a way, if you look at all the pirates, there's something really kid-like about them all. We're yeah. in a kid's imagination, so Joe said, the only rules I have for all the adults in the movie is that they appear as adults appear to kids, which is frightening and ridiculous. So that, that was our template.
1: Was there anything from the real Blackbeard? Oh, you know, it's...
3: Because that, that I gather he, has an, he had an incense. Yes.
1: Yeah, tell me about the beard.
3: Well, I had been reading with my son, the Junior National Geographic. It had this whole thing on Blackbeard. As Joe said, do you want to meet about? I was like, oh, I've done my research. <laughs> it was well, surely it's not the deepest research i've done it was the junior version but they had this picture of him and talked about how he used to glue in incense sticks into his beard this big long matted beard and light them on fire before he went into battle so as he jumped onto your ship the cut looked like his head was on fire and i used to show this what do you think and he goes no <laughs> i said oh Okay, what do you think? And he had on his iPad a picture of my head with this sort of superimposed bl- white cracked makeup on and the wig of Marie Antoinette and the costume of Louis Fourteenth, and all these kind of rapper's rings. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's better. <laughs> and he said, no, I see a man who's just a complete peacock, show pony, moody. And that was the thing that I loved about Joe. He said, for me, and I agree with him, the scariest adults were the moody ones. Yeah. The ones of one second would give you a hug and here's a chocolate. And the next thing it would just like slap you around. Like you yeah. never knew what they were going to be like. So that's sort of that was our template.
1: Just like just a switch, like a switch. Yes. <laughs> <You laughs> gotta keep an eye. Yeah. it.
3: Right. Volatile, Precious so and terrifying. In, in,
0: in the one, I just, in one what,
1: what would be scary about going to battle against a man whose face smells like a student's? Birthday? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> Mask. Mm, <Musk. Ooh>, like <laughs> You're killing me. Generally. You are killing me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, you you go bald in this one as well. Well, they
3: did give me the option of wearing a bald cap. And I said, how long does that take? And they said, 45 minutes. I said, give me the clippers. Wow. (laughs) And the
1: kids, your kids loved it, I gather. they loved it.
3: I mean, they thought I looked really weird and odd. And my son said, now I know why your friends called you P-Head at school. Mm -hmm. We went to Disney World, like, Probably for someone like me, the worst place in the world you can go if you're trying to look forward to having some fun with your kids. And Mm. it was my daughter and two of her friends, three of her friends. And I just didn't get recognized at all. Like, I mean, I got stopped like three times in three days, mainly for drugs, but (laughs) it was my favorite bit. Again. Again. And I I had none on me. (laughs) Uh, Disneyland's
0: the best place to score drugs, as we all know. Yeah. It's the only place to score How do the
3: dads get through it? You know? But my favorite was at our hotel, there was this one slide in the pool, right? And it was pretty short sort of slide. And my daughter finally got the courage to do it. So she did it a hundred times. And there was this one girl there who looked like a bit of a stoner, to be honest. And she was sort of on her summer vacation, whatever. And she was looking at me every time I came up. And I was like, oh, damn, I've been recognized. And this is because I'm in the hotel now. And I thought once she tells all the staff, blah, blah, blah. Finally, it was about my sixth time going mm. up there. And she goes, dude you look like a pirate, man. <laughs> and I was like, I am a pirate. She goes, yeah. You go, pirate, go. <laughs> and every time I went down the slide, I could hear echoing, go, pirate, go. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> well, of course, I mean, I'm looking at
0: your, your head of hair. You're not one who's going to go bald anytime soon. I, I'm so doing, what's I think I'm doing okay. You're doing all right, yeah. Although there's...
3: my son did say to me, he goes, really, black beard, it's more like black and white beard. Dad. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's all right. Let's distinguish. You're copying
1: you're a lot of kids. shade from the kids.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> True. Isn't that what they're there for? Isn't that what that, they think that's their job? Particularly, I think it's good, actually. No, my, my kids are very honest. They're honest about the things that... Like, my son is like, I don't understand Hollywood. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, why wasn't there a sequel to Flushed Away? They make a sequel to everything. But that was the best movie ever. Like, he loves that movie. Yeah. And he goes, why didn't they make a sequel to that? And I said... We did lose about 70 million bucks on it. Maybe <laughs> that could be why. <laughs> Let me show you a spreadsheet.
0: <laughs> That's why there's no flushed away too. But I agree, there should be a flushed away too. Yeah. It's going on, honestly.
1: Though I was going to ask about the pirate workshops. Yes. Which, and Joe said that a lot of things came, came out of them. Aside from, I guess, the chemistry of you guys as a yep. cast and the, mm-hmm. the, the spirit, I guess, to approach the film mm-hmm. in. But also the music as well. Yeah. No, and that Nirvana. Was a spells like Teen Spirit. There's a bit of Mad Max almost to that sequence.
3: Yeah, I think I agree with you. There's that eccentricity that Joe has that I think people are going to love about the film, you know, particularly in England. I think the English, the, like the costumes, the, and there's one scene that's kind of like a kaleidoscope. It's just a little trippy almost. <laughs> and you're in Neverland, why not? You know, he we did one scene with me and Peter and in front of the camera, he just had shards of glass sticking up so it was refracting light and it was almost like being in a 1970s you know, like music clip or something. He just goes for it. And third day into rehearsal, you hand around sheets of paper like that. You know, with the lyrics to Nirvana's "Teen Spirit." And we presumed it was some kind of. Well, I presumed it was some kind of you know improv or voice warm up or something. And He goes, "No, I'm thinking this for the uh, for the entrance." And I was like. Yes. I mean, it's the perfect entrance to Neverland. It's a great entrance for my character, but it just says to the audience immediately, you say, come on, you're in Neverland. Just let it go. Don't worry. This is not real life. This is we're in a kid's imagination. Just go on the, go on the ride, have the adventure. Does this mean that Blackbeard is officially the author of Smells Like Teen Spirit? Yes, you didn't know that? You did not know that. Yeah. And it's funny, I thought I knew the lyrics. I really didn't. <laughs> and if you go around to people, particularly on a drunken Saturday night, people start singing, but they really don't know. <laughs> there, there's, and, and it's funny seeing a whole bunch of 11-year-olds singing those lyrics. Because they don't know. <laughs> they actually have learnt them, but they still don't know what they're singing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so there's stuff like Ambulato. Yes. Yeah, and Albino. Yeah. The mosquito. It's, my it's, libido. Yeah, they're like... Mm. <laughs> Mr. Chapman, what's a libido? It's, yes,
3: exactly. And the parents shuffling them off quickly to catering at lunch. Come on, kids. It's Joe right? Disgusting. Well, let me show you another spreadsheet.
0: Um, <laughs> so, uh, were you a Nirvana fan?
3: Yeah. I knew the song. Oh, I, I, I did, know. Not, not overly, not massively, but yeah. I, I'm not as rock and roll as my uh, character appears.
1: <laughs> Is the P.T. Barnum movie mm. which is an original movie musical mm-hmm. which is very rare these days very is that gonna have an anachronistic sound cues music how's that gonna work do you have any idea have you no. heard
3: it yeah no we've been working on it right. a, a lot um so no it's not gonna feel like a period piece musically it's it's gonna feel modern in that way you know we all feel that that's the only way to go there's a couple of nods but yeah no, i i think you have to throw away those rules and it's not gonna sound like music hall or some mm. kind of thing that is 100 years old you know it's gonna feel very modern and i think it should does the songs play into your decision to take the role in the first place? Do you- For Barnum? Yeah. Huge.
1: You see the script, but you also hear... Everything. All of it, yeah.
3: That's why they say musicals is the Mount Everest. I mean, yes, the script is going to be great. Yes, the music is going to be great. Every single one, everything is going to be great. You can't... Every department of a musical is going to be great. And it's just that much harder to get right. I mean, if you think of most movies, you make the script, you cast it. you So you write the script, you cast it, you film it. And then the whole soundtrack comes in later. I mean, Joe had a couple of songs in this, but you tailor it to what you're seeing because this all has to be worked out before. It's so hard to pull off. It's going to take time, and we're just taking our time because there's no point in doing it unless it's mm. going to be great.
0: You famously played Gaston on stage mm. in Beauty and the Beast. And I don't know I think, how famous it is, but <laughs> <Well, I'm laughs> thank gonna, you. I'm going to say infamously. <laughs> yeah. um, how should we say? Oh, I say yes. you know, pick <clears clears throat> my pants. Had a, had a <clears> moment. my tights. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yes. Um, are, are you disappointed you weren't able to, able to reprise that for the film version coming up? <laughs> <laughs> I
3: mean that would be yeah, that's interesting Yeah, I, I kind of hate when actors say yes I was offered that part but let's just say it wasn't Gaston but there was there was some talk like are you interested and I actually couldn't make the time for another character actually sure, sure. in it and part of me really thought about it, but it was a timing thing. I think Bill is fantastic, and I loved doing that show. Playing Gaston every night was a blast, and it really, really works, that show. There's a, there's something like that animated musical still holds up. My kids absolutely love it. There's something really brilliant about it. So I'm really fascinated to see how it goes. And Luke's playing it, right? Yeah, Luke absolutely. And he's a great guy I've met him a lot of, and when I saw the photo of him and I was like oh yeah that's much better <laughs> <laughs> he has a way better gassed-on Chin than I have
1: I was lucky enough to pay my first visit to Comic Con this year oh really yes. first time Really? first time thing. how did and, you find and, it yeah. yeah really amazing it's a little overwhelming to start with yeah I'm sure it's even more overwhelming for you at times yeah. but I was sitting in Hall H on the Saturday right. it was kind of a farewell wasn't it and I guess it won't mm. be your last trip to Comic Con I'm, hoping I, I, I'm hoping
3: I go you know at least one more time when, yeah. the, when this last Wolverine's out because that the core those people in Hall H which are the core particularly for those big sort of announcements when I first started in 1999 on this you know Comic Con was about a tenth of the size and the internet had not really taken off and people didn't really know how to measure the fan base and they were really hardcore and those hardcore fans sort of made it happen and and i know that because i remember the projections i remember how surprised the studio was with our opening weekend i think at the time it was the fourth highest opening of all time right for a weekend and no one expected that and that's when people realized the, the fan base is much bigger than we expected it's huge and they are really passionate and you know i'll be honest not all the movies have been great and they've, some have been great and some have not been great and they've stuck through the whole thing and i think the series is getting better and i would love to be there at the end to say thanks particularly to them
0: so uh when do you start on the Good last question Wolverine we're
3: movie. still the plan is sort of next year sort of early next year we're still finalizing the script and i mean it's sort of I'm just we're not gonna start until that script is absolutely perfect. I've got a really, really clear idea in my head of of what this movie should be is gonna be and I won't do it until it's that.
0: You said old man Logan in the past.
3: <laughs> I might have been being cheeky. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I wasn't, maybe that's for real. <laughs> but I feel like old man Logan. <laughs> nonsense. Yeah. You,
0: you could play this character for the next 20 years. Maybe. Is there a sense of you know, regret in the way that you're hanging up the claws?
3: No, if I had regret I wouldn't do it. Yeah. It feels like the right time. I don't know if you can ever really predict it. It's a bit like the stock market. No one knows where the top or bottom is. I, I don't. But I would hate to miss that moment when I have the chance before I get kicked out of <laughs> finding the right time to leave the party. I mean, if I can equate it to real life, I, it, it's like this is one of the best parties I've ever been to. But there's yeah. going to become some point where it's diminishing returns, not only for me, but for the audience. And so I don't want to be delivering in that zone. And I actually had a great chat with Jerry Seinfeld, you know, which was one of the precipitating factors to me actually deciding to finish it. He's a friend of mine and I asked him about the end of that series and he just said he knew and he really cleverly said, I'm a big believer... To leave something creatively, like feel that you might have a little bit more, but he said, that will feed into whatever you do next. And then we'll see if in five years I'm begging the studio to let me back as old man Logan. <laughs> Two. You should, uh, yeah, old oh, okay, <laughs> you, uh, you should
0: do comedians and cars getting coffee with the Seinfeld. That would be. Yeah. I mean, there's only one problem be a comedian. I was yeah. going
3: to say uh, that is plural on comedian. <laughs> but
4: you're to be It could be
3: comedian, so okay. comedian and actor in car <laughs> yeah, having coffee. that
0: would be okay. I just want to ask one last thing about Wolverine. You're not. In X-Men Apocalypse.
3: Um, who said? What's up with that? How do well,
0: you know? I was on set. And, really? And there was the entire a, time? It was a lack of Jackman. The entire time? A lackman. Were you there the whole <laughs> in, time? The whole time? You were there? I wasn't in, there the whole time. So no. how do you know? I don't know. But mm. <laughs> well, so Let's told. leave that hanging. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you were told that <laughs> I was not there. You're a tease. <laughs> yeah, I'm a tease. You, uh, well, you know me. I used to just tell everything. And then the studio's like, really? You had yeah. to tell everyone that? Like, yeah. come on. But
0: Then again, I was told as well you weren't going to be in first class
3: right but, well actually i didn't know i was yeah. gonna be in first class <laughs> because matthew ramey said i got an idea for your first class and it was uh, like a year later that i did that came in. and i was like yeah. guys do you want to shoot me because i know you're in new orleans or miss wherever they were and i said i'm sort of this side of the world you want to shoot it now and they said oh we don't know if we're going to use you so it was a last minute decision
1: so this third wolverine it's actually
3: still my favorite wolverine moment probably it's great yeah it's absolutely amazing that and the other one i like you're a dick that that one in the <laughs> X- x-men one that one works both of them are swearing what does that <laughs> say but,
0: I just Want to ask, uh, wrapping up about one cameo you did this year, which yes. was in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, yes. one of my favorite films of the year. Oh, one um, of my favorite films, too. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, you cameoed as yourself, but not yes. as yourself, <laughs> as Wolverine, in a weird, it was very weird, yeah, an Australian Wolverine with, with Wal- the
3: poster of Wolverine talking, <laughs> <laughs> but it was the Hugh, the actor, talking about like really you're going to be talking to this girl with cancer. It, it was very odd, and I went in and filmed it. But I love Alfonso that film, everyone should see that film. I don't know how, how did it do here. Did it do well? It, yeah, it did well.
0: Yeah, it did well. Well, critics yeah. loved it so good did I come about was that just a natural mm. I mean did he call up and go I want you to be yourself but not yourself if you know what I mean Do it was in it? the script as yeah.
3: as done and I just thought this is perfect so I was glad I did it fantastic thanks guys
0: You. thanks very much indeed. all the best thank you that was the great Hugh Jackman there. And now to round off this very special pan podcast, we have a triple whammy. It's an interview with Rooney Mara, AKA Tiger Lily, with Garrett Headland, A.K.A. Captain James Hook, and with young newcomer Levi Miller, who was wearing a set of pan pipes around his neck. He of course plays Peter Pan, and they were talking to myself and Phil Decemlion. Enjoy. Would you like to be joined in the Empire Podcast by Rooney Mara? Garrett Headland, Levi Miller, hello, how are you all? Good good. good, good, good. Good to see you. Garrett, you said something before we started. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna pull you up on it. You've only been on one podcast before. And uh, that yes. was yeah. Dave Navarro's podcast.
5: Yeah, you just got a podcast that used to record every Wednesday night and some of my, my friends and I would sit around, have a couple of glasses of wine and call in, pretend to be random characters with very extreme problems you know because it's one of those podcasts asking for advice or if it's okay you know i can't find a girl or something like that and then we'd call in with something quite extreme and that became uh our annual wednesday night <laughs> did he know that you were doing this no, <laughs> uh, no. has he ever known no okay no. excellent
0: and what sort of characters did you do uh, I'm not asking shit. to do one uh, now, No,
5: no, yeah. I'm not even going to say Because yeah. then
0: it's going to be found yeah. <laughs> People will be rooting through the internet yeah. right now yeah. uh, Rooney, have you ever been on the podcast? No, ever done I've never ever prank on a podcast. the podcast <laughs> I don't think I've been on a podcast Yeah, And uh, Levi, as of No, you? no, never no? before you should, you should do it after this Prank call podcasts <laughs> incessantly
1: <laughs> Can we talk about the initial audition? Because that process sounds astonishingly daunting. Even for someone like you, who's actually played the character before. And I have the photographic evidence from your Twitter oh, feed. <laughs> I
4: want to see. I haven't seen that.
1: Have you not seen this? might. do you mind?
4: Yes. I, this isn't fine, great yes. radio. Yes, I mean, but we'll put oh a picture
1: in God, with it. It's, so it's, talk us through the, this picture so people c- who are listening yes, can understand. Yes, sure.
6: I mean, it was... I want to
1: keep this photo.
6: Yikes. That was when I was five or f- five or six, I believe. Five. And I did a character reenactment of Peter Pan. And it was just a little monologue, but I won. Which was cool, <laughs> yeah. That was. that but you're like was, fully, in,
1: you're fully in costume, and
6: yes. Oh wow, what?
1: <laughs> hey, it was on your Twitter feed. <laughs> yes,
6: I know. I remember that. I remember that.
1: Having done that, the audition for this movie probably was a cinch. I imagine. It was, <laughs> you know, very, I'd, very different. I bring the character with me. What was that like? Because I, c- I can't imagine. It was a big casting call, obviously.
6: Well, yes, there was two auditions in my hometown in Australia. And then I was flown to LA for another audition and it was my first time in the US, which was awesome. And then they flew me to London for another audition and chemistry test, which is where I met Garrett Mm -hmm. and the boy who plays my best friend in the film, Nibs, Lewis McDougall. And that three weeks later, I got the call that I was going to be playing Peter Pan in Pan. (laughs) It was... Yes, incredible. I, I cried on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Tears of joy, of course, but it was amazing.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Do you guys have memories of your first auditions? I think I know about your first audition, girl. I might have seen some an interview you did where you talked about some feedback that was... A bit bruising. Oh, <laughs> being
5: told I suck pond water.
1: What is that even? Is that a positive or a negative? No,
5: man. I, when I, my first audition, I mean, I sort of did similar things. When I was living in Arizona, I would call up acting coaches. I would go to talent scouts and stuff. And I mean, one of the talent scouts where I ended up getting my first manager, I think I got up and gave the halftime speech for Varsity Blues. <laughs> so, <laughs> 40 minutes for the next 40 years of your life. But no, my, my first auditions were flying to L.A. from Arizona. You were never given a script. It was only the side. So you, you had to sort of invent who this person was. I think one of my first auditions was for like an, an Olsen twins show or something. No. Really? That's the first time I have ever publicly said that. A lot is being <laughs> revealed right now.
0: <laughs> A first
4: I can't remember what my first audition was. I mean, I had a lot of really, really bad, embarrassing ones. Mm. Hopefully those will never come <laughs> to the light of day. Yeah, I hated auditioning. People. Some people are really good at it, but it's really kind of like a separate skill set. Like it's very different than actually being on a set and acting. It's like I had to learn how to get good at auditioning. I was really, really bad at it.
0: Did you have a, a special monologue prepared, like that, uh, Gareth with uh, No, it was the Blues? <laughs>
4: no, no, it was always just scenes. Okay. Okay.
1: Oh, okay. Is there a very marked difference between a chemistry, like a chemistry read, and an audition?
4: Yeah, because you get to read with another actor. Yeah. So. So it
1: feels less like a job interview, I guess, in that sense.
4: No, it's just it's easier it's easier to act with another actor <laughs> than with someone who's just like reading from a piece of paper <laughs> like that, you know? Yeah, I
5: mean, because early on yeah. as well, a lot of the casting directors you go in knowing that you're not going to get anything back from them. And that was always the kind of thing. And, you know, they read 100 people a day. You're trying to bring all the life you can to your characters, and what you're receiving back is yeah. the flattest, most monotone <laughs> version of, you know. Yeah. Or really, really
1: overactive. <laughs> oh, there yeah. were some casting directors who just uh, throw... Just no, they usually
4: have, like, a reader there.
1: Ah, um, uh, reader, right. Yeah. Or else it's, uh, I mean, it's very, how are you today? And, then, you know, it's... <laughs> it's, it's uh, it's very opposite. Can we talk a bit about the uh, the pirate workshops that you guys all did?
6: I didn't get to choose the pirate costumes, but I got to witness everyone collecting their costumes and creating their characters. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. My character's pretty, he's just in grey sad clothes, but yeah. it he wears the same thing throughout <laughs> the film, and it's always really dirty. <laughs> it was
5: for um, three weeks before we started shooting, we would and come to these stages um every day they're the, the leaves then stages close by where the Harry Potter adventure is and this is where Hugh and Levi and Joe and all the other pirates would gather and Joe had had one of his relatives from up north come down who runs a theater company and obviously because Joe's got a very theatrical sort of pass as well and passion we would sort of rehearsed a lot of this stuff like it was going to be a play all the characters sat down the pirates and got to explain who they felt their characters were and you got to sort of know a little bit of that and then joe had offered us a closet that had a wardrobe consisting of dresses and sort of ridiculous i mean boas and maybe recall seeing a diaper there uh <laughs> I mean, and this is, it's, it, this is joe's sense of humor and everybody put these garbs on and danced around and it was really one of those i mean even for levi like it's his first film but you got to see hugh having fun and taking advantage mm. of it and not being too proud to be doing this and rehearsing and and coming from His hectic stress, and also seeing Levi sort of open up and start having a blast with it, and then it was just infectious for all of us.
0: Did you all feel you had a blank slate essentially with your characters? I mean, uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking it was particularly you, Guard. I mean, your your interpretation of Hook is traditionally a very dapper English gent, but Mm -hmm. this is not that. I mean, did you feel you could go
5: anywhere? I had gotten the call one day that Joe had wanted to meet me to play Captain Hook, and obviously my first instant was confusion I I didn't ever imagine that so I went to sort of hear him out and he said you know we're doing a sort of new spin on Blackbeard and Tiger Lily and this whole uh, world of Neverland and I imagine Hook uh, to be somebody I fancy him being from an early John Ford film or like somebody that if he wasn't in these mines he'd be happier on a on a horse in the prairie and I thought it was really sort of interesting origin kind of place for him to start.
1: I was going to say, and Levi, obviously Peter's from London, he's an orphan boy, but Rooney, your character doesn't have that same geographical kind of sense of, yeah origin. No, she's, is just, that, from she's yeah. just from
4: neverland she's just from neverland so there you
1: go <laughs> Was it, i mean do you imagine a place where you know she is from some no she's, of, she's literally, literally just from neverland mm. i
4: mean like we always kind of talked about neverland is really just kind of it's peter's imagination so it's whatever world a boy that age would imagine like tiger lily to all of us has just always been there like she doesn't Really exist outside of Neverland.
0: So it's hard to research. You can't exactly go to Neverland and yeah, and spend some time there, soak <laughs> up the accents and soak up the vibe.
4: Well, I mean, all of the natives in Neverland were it was kind of like a hodgepodge. Like, like the chief was Australian. He was amazing. All of the natives we were just from all over, so it was mm. like there was no consistent accent mm. or anything like that.
1: A like a fun place to turn up for work in the morning.
4: Oh my gosh, yeah, that set was so much fun because there was like hundreds of extras every single day and the same people every single day. God, we felt so bad for them because they had to wear the same costume and by the end of it, like, everyone was just really <laughs> stinky. <laughs> really? Because they would just, just dance all day be between old. takes. <laughs> and they had the Ugandan Children's Choir come in and they were part of a big scene in there doing this song and dance and that was really cool. and yeah. Yeah, it was, that was definitely the most fun set, I think.
0: What about yeah. the trampoline day? I imagine that was that must have been quite fun. Getting people off the trampoline so you could actually film on it—that must have been <laughs> must <have> been tricky.
5: <laughs>
4: yeah, they had it pretty locked off, I guess, okay. like so it didn't lose its. its yeah, they didn't <laughs> it's want anybody getting
5: hurt. Joe was like, "Oh, this trampoline looks like some fun." He did two jumps and said, "My back." <laughs> he jumped on it twice and hurt his back and here we're just embarking on this three week fight scene between me and Sky Teju who's one of South Korea's I think he's like their number one martial artist there our stunt choreographer was amazing I've worked with her before Eunice I worked with her all the way back on my first film Troy so it's wonderful to cross paths again I mean it was five harness changes a day and and hanging upside down for days on end so but <laughs> in terms of the set with all those people and and joe is a dj in his own right and would constantly be playing music in between takes and you'd have the whole stage of, of cast and crew dancing and it really sort of kept it lively and kept everybody having fun and being ridiculous and, and feeling like a child again which i mm-hmm. think is really necessary
1: on this absolutely joe did say that he tried to demonstrate He described it as prevising for you a back bend and his back Kind of wouldn't bend because he says he's 44 and it doesn't work anymore. Oh,
4: yeah. He, he, what was he trying to do? He was trying to do the crab. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Did you he, I was doing this, this fight scene with Hugh that we shot forever and ever. It was really hard because we were doing this fight on the ship. Like, it was basically like doing a fight on a balance beam. We had to practice for weeks and weeks and we were doing it. And... On the day that we were meant to start shooting it, I had to. we had to be on wires because it was too dangerous, but we had never practiced on wires. So we've been practicing for weeks and weeks, and then all of a sudden we had to put wires on, and it completely changes everything about the way you move and your center of gravity. So it was so hard and I was like getting really really frustrated so Joe came in to sort of try and like pep talk me and he was <clears> sort of telling me this whole story that I won't get into but it involved doing the crab and so he got on the <laughs> floor to do it basically telling me like you can do it and then he like like pulled out his back while he was trying to do it
0: <laughs> you can do it just don't do it like I just did it well I didn't
4: have to do the crab
0: <laughs> that's true but yeah
4: <laughs> I don't know that where the true. crab came from
0: just, just just felt right he was improving moments. as a
1: director <laughs> there are the, obviously the potential for sequels for this so it kind of invalidates a, the question I wanted to ask which is did you guys get to keep anything from the set I'm looking that you actually have yes, the pan. I have my pan is that up. the act that's not the actual that's the
6: actual one is it from the film yeah wow. so
1: you can't lose it basically for the next film otherwise it's cancelled <laughs>
6: yeah it's Crazy how many things that they've done to this when They've put magnets on it. They've done a lot of things to it, but it's still here. So they
0: away. know you've got that? Or did you just. <laughs> yes, they
6: know. Or now. I just
4: t- took it off set
0: Okay. Still wouldn't know.
6: They gave it to eBay. me. By so, the end of like a four month shoot, you, just, you really no. just want
4: to burn everything, but I kept like some of my axes and, and I kept this <laughs> father piece of my wardrobe. <laughs> Yeah, that so
1: a uh, Heathrow on your way back to America after the shoot, you was really
4: <laughs> Well, they were like, they're kind of like plastic, some sort of uh, plastic material. Yes. Yeah, they weren't actual axes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> the curtain's being pulled back now on us. Uh, Garrett, tell me you kept the trampoline. Uh,
5: no, Jill, When when I first met with him, the trampoline wasn't involved in the script then, and it was a potential fight sequence, and the fight sequence changed a lot, and he asked me how I was on a trampoline. I grew up on one, you know, during that time when the trampoline craze was going on and kids couldn't live without one. Yeah, I grew up on one. And when we were training at the beginning and going over all the stunts, you're on this thing for eight hours a day. So the last thing I wanted
1: to be near again was was a trampoline. (laughs) Take your work home with you. Uh, Last question, Levi, I believe you learned some Cockney rhyming slang. As a kid from, you grew up in Queensland, right? Have you got anything that you want to share with our listeners that's useful Cockney rhyming slang? Do you remember any of it?
6: There's apples and pears. Mm -hmm. I think that's stairs. There were lots.
1: Will you take some home with you for, for your friends? Do you think they'll have a clue what you're talking about? (laughs)
6: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd love to. And then I also learned some, I think there's modern slang. There's modern slang here now. There's lads and um, cheeky Nandos, apparently. <laughs> <laughs>
0: They're called
6: cheeky Nandos. Which...
0: Cheeky Nandos. <laughs> That's all you need. Thank you That's guys great. very much for joining us on the podcast.
6: Thank much you. Thank you. Thank
4: you.
0: And that's it for this very special Pan podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a whole host of Empire special podcasts coming out over the next few weeks. We've got an interview podcast with Guillermo del Toro next week uh, for Crimson Peaks, so do be on the lookout for that. We have the regular podcast as well, which is up every Friday. We have a Mad Max Fury Road spoiler special podcast with George Miller. That's going to be up Monday the 12th of October and then, and at some point in the next couple of weeks we're hopefully going to have a Spectre spoiler special as well with Sam Mendes spilling the beans on all things Bond. So do keep your eyes peeled and indeed your ears peeled for those. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye.